Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast, where every week we talk about how technology is transforming the creative industries. Today on the program, Nike's new NFT platform, DotSwoosh, and what that means for the future of digital fashion. We will talk about why NFTs seem to be thriving when crypto doesn't, our legacy brands, the way forward for digital assets, the role for community in the digital fashion space, and Instagram's new NFT platform and other examples in this space. Big topic, very interesting one, very topical. I'm Connor Dolson, editor-in-chief and founder of Scandinavian Mind. And I'm here with returning panelists, Roland Philippe Kretzmar, our editor-at-large, and our junior editor, Eric Sedin. Guys, good morning. Good morning. Happy to be back. Good morning. It's December 1st when we are recording this and it feels like Christmas is around the corner. Everyone's uh, super busy with wrapping up the year. And, and speaking um, of that, I have to ask, since we're a tech podcast, we're very, you know, up to date, we're staying in the know. How did your Spotify unwrap look like? Speaking of wrapped. <laughs> I, I haven't even gone there. I feel like it's the no, same thing every either. year. So I, that's why I feel like I'm growing older. It, it looks the same every year. Roland, how about you? I haven't uh, looked at it yet, actually. So uh, I, I will do that uh, afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Thank you for that, Eric. So today we're going to talk about uh, Nike's new uh, Web3 platform uh, called DotSwoosh. This was launched two weeks ago, announced two weeks ago. And it's been kind of uh, slowly rolling out ever since. And we're going to talk about this today for several reasons. Um you know, one of them is if you look at, you know, the crypto space at a glance, if you're anyone, you know, remotely close to, to crypto or NFTs, you know that crypto is having quite a hard time right now. Uh, Bitcoin is less than half of what it was one year ago. There's news every week about sort of crypto billionaires either uh, being disappeared, found dead, or, uh, you know, as in the case of Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, and, and his bankrupted platform FTX. See, there's crazy news about, you know, real estate in Bahamas and this, you know, unregulated space has created quite a quite a shit show. But sort of adjacent to that is the whole notion of NFTs. And obviously it's been something we've been talking about quite extensively on this podcast for, you know, well over a year. Um, and what's interesting is that seems to be thriving quite a lot. There are many activities, many projects launching. And in the case of Nike, a big global brand making a dedicated push into this space. And we're going to talk about what this is. Um, we're going to talk about uh, what this could mean for um, the future of, of digital fashion. Uh, so let's try to, to unpack this a little bit. Roland, you were the first one who uh, sort of brought this to our attention. Very excited uh, um, in in our Slack feed, but also on your your social. Uh, why were you so excited about this launch when it arrived? You know, let's give it a backdrop. What is Don Swoosh? Mm. Well, it's a Web three platform for co creation and community driven design, right? So uh, we we will explain a bit more in detail what that means. But the thing is, we can go back to 1999. When Nike launched Nike ID, uh, you could already uh, 20 plus years ago design your own sneakers uh, with Nike ID. So for 20 years, Nike has collected data, vast amounts of data on, on, on the appetite of design, what designs are the most popular. And, you know, this has been 
one of I think one of the core elements of, of Nike's success and, and after Nike ID all the competitors started their own similar platforms. I think the, the main difference is that now Nike will actually offer consumers the opportunity to get revenues on their designs. And right. we actually don't know yet the details of how that will work in practice. All we know is that Dotsush is this um, polygon-based co-creation platform where consumers can design their own sneakers and that might uh, result in virtual sneakers that can be traded, but it might also result in physical sneakers that might be traded. And the idea with you, uh, of using blockchain technology and polygon as a crypto <clears throat> platform is that uh, consumers would then also get revenues. That is the big, big thing here. Yeah, right? yeah. But I, I, I need to add another element to why I was so excited is that, because I mean, not only did Nike start this kind of experiment of, of, of uh, allowing consumers to design their sneakers 20 years ago, they actually were very early in the NFT space. So already three years ago, they started to experiment with NFTs. Uh, they first collaborated with uh, Artifact and acquired Artifact and actually... Nike has generated close to 200 million in, in sales from NFTs, dollars, $200 million. In, and the, um, the aftermarket uh, volume of uh, NFT, uh, Nike NFTs is $1.2 billion. So, and you know, just as a comparison, Adidas has generated um, 10 times lower sales uh, on yeah. NFTs. Yeah. So Nike has this amazing head start, but they, I, I think they also have this, um, this notion of co-creation with the community, with consumers, it's embedded into their DNA. Hmm. Let's uh, go back so that's and, just and, my quick yeah, take yeah. on it. Yeah. That's, we'll go back to, I, I want to unpack several of those issues that you just hmm. talked about. So let's, let's just go back and see what, how Nike is describing this themselves. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're launching Dot Swoosh, and Swoosh is obviously the name of their, their logo. Uh, Dot Swoosh is a Web3 enabled platform that champions athletes and serves the future of sport by creating a new inclusive digital community and experience hmm. and a home for Nike's virtual creations. I think that says a lot. So the domain is yeah. is what uh, swoosh dot Nike. I didn't even know they had their own kind of dot com. <laughs> There's a dot Nike. I read that that was because of safety reasons because that's it will be harder for people to scam other entities. Exactly. So it's exactly. Nike. Yeah. You know, at this place they will, uh, as you alluded to, Roland, we'll be able to sort of learn about, collect, and eventually help co-create these virtual creations. Uh, typically interactive digital objects, but they, they also say it could be uh, sort of digital objects. We've talked about this before, meaning, uh, you know, I, I would imagine NFTs or, or blockchain controlled designs that could also be a physical uh, shoe. Mm. Uh, it should be noted also, you mentioned they're, they're, they're buying Artifact. We've talked about this on the podcast before, but, but Artifact was a French digital-only sneaker brand that launched, uh, it's got to be two years ago now. Mm. And it's, you know, during the rise of sort of NFTs and digital uh, fashion, the notion of digital fashion was in the spring of 2021, uh, they were kind of the pioneers. It was dematerialized. It was uh, the fabricant, which we had on the cover of issue three, and it's Artifact. So Artifact got kind of swooped up by Nike. Swooped up. 
swooshed up and i feel like this is the this is the you know what we're seeing is the sort of culmination of you know the 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 history that you just uh, described roland and i would imagine the uh knowledge and sort of insights from from artifact Mm -hmm. eric when you have looked at at this what what have been the the things that have stood out to you one thing that i thought was interesting uh i am (laughs) i'm definitely not a sneakerhead i do follow that culture a bit i think it's quite it's a mixture of cringe and interesting to me how grown men are so obsessed by sneakers, but I still like sneakers, so I can, I'm kind of <laughs> hypocritical there. But anyways, I thought it was really interesting how I read in a um, Fast Company article about this uh, dot swoosh, and they said that Nike will use blockchain to share revenue on community source designs of mm-hmm. these sneakers. And as they're sold and resold, uh, things will you know spread out and it will be equally shared for everyone that was involved in a sneaker. And like Roland said, um, since the early 2000s, Nike have been have had a huge culture of making custom sneakers, either through Nike ID or they do it, you know, by themselves at home. Uh, or there's knockoffs, for example, uh, the Bapestas. I don't know if you remember them. How the Bape did, and it was a big <laughs> juridical uh, shambles with Bape had to take the shoe off, and it was a big. Uh, I don't know how much they got sued for, but it was, and they had to remove all of them, which make them a very big. Uh, if you own a pair of babes now, they're uh, extremely valuable. Hmm. So and Eric, anyways, actually, Virgil Abloh's success working with Nike was based yeah. on his culture of customizing Nike. Right. Because if you actually look at his original designs, mm-hmm. they are very much like this kind of you know personal customization of a Nike. Uh, yeah, that yeah, kind of exactly. scale up. And, yeah, and that could be quite uh, that could be quite messy sometimes when. Nike, for example, we're talking about Nike now, they could be accused of stealing a, uh, a small designer's work. Like, hey, I did this customized, customized shoe three years ago. Now you dropped an official one. It looks quite similar, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the whole culture starts talking and stuff. So I think this is a great way of seeing like, okay, who designed it first? And then through crypto and through blockchain, you can kind of follow the design lead and see, oh, Nike picked it up here. And then we're going to share the money and share the revenue. And we can see who actually designed it. I think that's really interesting, especially when it comes to sneakers and street culture, where it's so much about knockoffs. It's so much about the, I thought of Dapper Dan, for example, mm-hmm. uh, who used to do these like really lavish and crazy Gucci and Louis Vuitton stuff out of his Harlem store. And that eventually led up to, that's a good example. It led up with Gucci hiring him and giving him a home uh, atelier and then giving and designing some of his stuff. But usually all this stuff just ends up with everyone being sued and everyone just not happy. So I think this is interesting. But there is an element to that, Eric. Um, it's the other side of it. Mm. <laughs> it's the commercial side of it. So this is a fantastic way to collect consumer data. And by collecting and, 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 and knowing what consumers want, uh, of course, Nike can earn more money, right? So you know, uh, big data, data management, whatever you want to call it, you know, data analytics, all of this is at the end of the day, it is to sell more products, right? But then so ex- explain this- that for me, Ron, and, and what you I feel like there's two ways into this. One is kind of the positive story of being community driven and inclusive and have the, the Nike members, as they talk about, sort of, uh, you know, participate in the design process and eventually get revenue from from the work that they are actually Mm -hmm. doing that's kind of the positive side of it you're talking about kind of a bit of a flip side to that coin which is you know in sort of engaging the community they're also Mm -hmm. learning about what the community wants the direction it's headed in terms of the science uh uh uh, you know consumer behavior and that sort of thing that's what you're talking basically kind of like a fashion version of facebook 
Um, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, that, I, <laughs> let me think about that comparison. But uh, I mean, a, any company today uh, needs uh, data, needs and uh, needs to basically digest and understand data. You know, translate data into actionable um, insights. And I think uh, maybe your comparison to Facebook is interesting in the sense that why have the tech companies been so successful? Well, because mm. they have data, right? Mm. And, and and I think this is also why we see that Nike as a company, I think they have this head start to many other brands because they have, you know, worked with Nike ID and other platforms for 20 years. And, you know, they, they have collected data on you know what? What what's the appetite among consumers to design their own sneakers? You know what do they design? All of these things, and then they can start to predict and 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 you know forecast. You know what might be uh, f- f- success uh, successful designs in the future, etc. And I think with this community, and I'm not saying it's it's. I mean, I love this idea, right? But I'm just also saying that um, it's it's an amazing way for Nike to collect even more data and to predict uh, in, in an even better way. Uh, what consumers want in the future. And I think this is still niche, right? We mm. don't have any numbers uh, besides what I shared earlier, you know, the the, the $200 million in revenues of NFT sales, etc. That's nothing. I mean, it, you know, Nike is a, is, a, is a big, big company. This is still a very, very small revenue stream for them, but it is at the cutting edge of consumer trends. So actually it is, you know, it's it's a it's an innovation experiment in 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 real real life, right? Mm. It's not something you you talk about with PowerPoint slides. It's actually you're doing it in real life. You are experiment testing out new consumer behaviors, the appetite to co-create. You're testing co-creation and um, revenue uh, and new revenue streams. Uh, you know, in, in a quite a, I would say a risk-free setting. Uh, and then if this, let's say, fails, if it doesn't scale, let's say, if this still is just a niche uh, experiment and two years from now, you know, they, they, they will quietly kind of shut it down and move, move on, they will still have collected huge amounts of data, uh, which will uh, then help them to understand uh, consumer behavior. I must also say that this, and this is important, that this, uh, coming back to the crypto comment you made in the beginning, that this is a polygon-based platform, and, and yeah, explain, polygon. Explain what polygon is for, yeah, for people who don't know. So, so very, very shortly, polygon is is what you could call a layer two scaling solution for Ethereum. Hmm. So it's basically a way to to enjoy the benefits of Ethereum without these infamous gas fees, hmm. <laughs> right? So uh, it's it's a blockchain network built on top of Ethereum, basically to provide faster, cheaper uh, Ethereum experience. So. Uh, it, it and and this is extremely critical because I think a lot of the uh, the, um, the criticism against crypto has been, for example, the gas fees. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, the, the, so, so and then of course the sustainability aspects, which Ethereum themselves kind of mended uh, earlier this fall. But Polygon is also seen as a more sustainable uh, option to, to to you know to working purely on on Ethereum based. Mm. Uh, I think so, yeah. I think it's worth mentioning and and sort of my my the reason I'm excited about this which I am mm. and and we've talked before about sort of what is the transition into NFTs I mean because I think for a lot of people if you're not like us kind of nerds into this enjoy talking about it and reading up on it it's very hard to 
to sort of it's been very hard to wrap your head around the sort of utility of nfts what are they good for really and especially since the first iteration kind of the first wave of nfts were these sort of crazy little uh board ape uh cartoon figures that sold for millions of dollars there's been funny memes around how much you know jason bieber's <laughs> board ape how much is worth now mm. he paid one and a half million dollars for it now it's worth nothing or, or or similar like that. So I think the, for for the general public, even people in the media industry or in the fashion industry, or even in the tech industry, has been like raising their eyebrows, you know, scratching their heads. Uh, what will this end up being? And uh, is it the beginning of the next phase of the internet? Meaning like the third wave of the internet? Is it just a fad? Or is it just like kind of like a digital receipt? A very interesting, good technology. It's all Conrad. <laughs> well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to yeah. that. But, but that's that's kind of my point here. Because I think, you know, we've talked about how um, NFTs could be really good for luxury brands in authenticating yes. uh, the, the, the realness of a Louis Vuitton or Chanel bag. But I think what, what what we're seeing here with with, the, with this dot swoosh platform is that it kind of perfectly uh, bridges the old Nike, which is still co- very community driven. It's collectibles. It's mm. about designs that people are excited about and wants to talk about, you know, online in forums and so forth. With this sort of new way of authenticating it on Web three, even creating digital versions of it instead of the physical ones. Mm. And I, I, um, uh, I was at Slush th- three weeks ago when we had a podcast about that. So, and I, there I listened to a uh, an old ad chief from Apple called James Vincent, very interesting sort of branding figure. He said he runs a company called Founder, where he helps. Uh, founders with communication and so forth. Um, he's been working with Apple and also Airbnb and, and Snap. But he uh, mentioned a story, um, and one of his takeaways was that Steve Jobs always said, don't introduce the new with the new. Introduce the new with the familiar. So mm. meaning every time there's a new technology that uh, you know needs to get sort of foothold in the general public, it can't be completely new. It can't be this whole new thing. So the through line, and maybe this is a uh, you know easy to say you know after the fact, but had he created like had he come from computers directly to the phone, it would perhaps would have been harder for people to to swallow. But if he first introduced this little MP3 player, and MP3 mm-hmm. players was around, so people knew what that was. They just introduced a better one put that into every person's pocket. So every, now everyone has an Apple product in their pocket that's kind of like this mini computer and then launch the phone. And even in the first phone, we could see that all the apps were kind of, you know, the Notes app was kind of this skeuomorphic thing where it, it kind of looked like a, a notepad. And, mm. you know, the 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 I, I assume in the podcast app was kind of like two wheels spinning or something. So <laughs> introducing the new... Don't introduce the new with the new. Introduce mm-hmm. the new with the familiar, and, and and that to me is what swoosh is. It's like. But this is my point. Also connecting it back to the Nike ID platform yes. that started twenty plus years ago. That yes. this is not. It's just a continuation of a journey they have made for years and years. So I agree with you, and I think also the, you know, NFT is not so new anymore. Sorry to say, but you know, time goes fast. Uh, you know, we saw major NFT drops two three years ago, and. Uh, it, it, you know, so I, I think this is also. But they're not widely adopted. They're like they're not mainstream yet. And I think what we are waiting for is 
you know, will they become mainstream? No one really knows, but I think this is a really good indication that, and and it's it's a testament to that this could actually kind of work. Uh, yeah, and, and I they think are uh, enabling. Are, sorry, no, but listen, it, this is just one of many examples. I mean, you, mm. you you literally have every major sports brand working with NFTs, every major mm. luxury brand working with NFTs. Instagram is launching. Uh, has already launched, uh, you know, in the US uh, for 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 um, a limited number of of test users, op- uh, the 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 possibility to mint NFTs through through the Instagram platform. I mean, it is coming, right? Whether we want it or not. And the reason it is going to scale, it is going to stick, is because of the blockchain technology and um, the data that can be collected as well, right? And the cook, the, and also this. Uh, the, the, I think this is just a byproduct of the last ten years of, you could say, influencer economy as well. Mm. Like you know, we you, you have had in the past decade. I mean, millions of consumers producing content, right? Producing, uh, you know, it's photography, illustration, art, cooking shows. I, I mean. Uh, whatever you want, a sneaker designs, and they have shared it online, but there has not been a really good way to get revenues from this. Mm. But I mean, there are mi- probably hundreds of millions of consumers that, in some way or another, are creating something, right, in the digital space. And of course, this, I mean, they, they want to earn something. Um, so I, I, I think uh, we have reached a tipping point. NFTs are here to stay. It's not going to be the Beeple stuff, you know, the $69 million uh, art, art, paintings, or not paintings, but uh, artworks. Art pieces, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be something else, but still, it's here to stay, I would say. Um, and, and I and sorry, I, um, one more element with Dot Swoosh is, um, and I think, uh, you know, uh, we're repeating ourselves a bit, but I think it's important. It is the community element. Nike has, you talked about sneakerhead, uh, Eric. I mean, Nike is part of a global community, multi-billion dollar economy of sneakers, right? Which is built on identity. It's like, if I have this sneaker, this gives me a social clout. Yeah. So, of, of course, if, if, if uh, consumers spend 20, 30, 40, 50, even more percent online, they also want social cloud online. And this is why I believe that virtual sneakers um, are, are successful. So let's take that, uh, you know, stating that fact, let's spend the last few minutes of this podcast talking about looking in the crystal ball a little bit and talking about how this could affect the industry. Because what you just said is sort of NFTs are here to stay. We're seeing project after project. And, you know, the reason we're excited about this and and is because this is, feels so sort of, thought through is it's rooted in a in a in a in a uh, uh, culture and a community that actually exists but how can other brands um uh, perhaps uh, t- pick up on this what will this mean for i mean nike is one of the biggest brands in the world i know you have in your day job uh, you know studied this quite a lot talking about how your day job at absolute thinking about how which is also a global brand uh, uh, but but perhaps not with the same size of Nike. But can we can we can we give a little bit of a through line here down to sort of other international brands? But also I think it, it would be interesting to uh, 
predict a little bit about how when will this trickle down to perhaps a local fashion brand here in in Scandinavia or, a, or 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 another you know community here what do you guys think actually i thought it was interesting we put on our website on wednesday uh, mega who was on the show took it all on shoes the other week uh, she put a um, Parsons School of Design, uh, the big fashion school, and Roblox made a huge report mm. on metaverse and fashion in the metaverse, how people dress. And I thought it was interesting that uh, it was it's kind of contradicting to what we've been talking about. Because <laughs> we, we've been saying on this podcast, like, oh, you can dress as a cloud or a dragon. But the report actually showed that 70% of the thousand of Gen Zers that they uh, surveyed, 70% stated that they dressed their avatars somewhat like they do in real life mm. yeah that's mm. super interesting. so that's a big majority so that means that if you're a brand and you know that you have some kind of following don't don't go over the top for your digital uh, twins or digital uh, copies make it make it look similar so like you said what was that quote from the apple guy introduce something new with something old or whatever it was yeah. i think that's exactly that would be i, I don't know i don't know I, i'm not going to give brands advice but from this report and from that quote maybe you should Derek. Yeah, yeah. you should give brands advice. <laughs> We're making waves in this podcast. But uh, actually, that's it. So 70% out of all these people that they surveyed, Parsons and Roblox, 70% say yeah. they want their avatar to look kind of like they do in real life. So don't go over the top when you design your stuff. Keep it, uh, keep it simple. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and, and you know, when we talk about uh, these uh, flying unicorns <laughs> of this yeah. central land or whatever, uh, I, f- I mean, that is a very, very niche community, right? Um, hmm. But so I totally agree with you, and I think this is a, it's a it's a great observation, and I also believe this is why we have seen Nike being so successful in other brands, you know Gucci or others, because they have actually dropped somewhat, you know, you know, recognizable products, you know, a virtual sneaker or a virtual T-shirt, you know, you you, you understand immediately what it is. Um, I, I think though, what what um, is still something that I am struggling with in my own head is how you can use these virtual goods across uh, multiple platforms. Right. Um, so, I, th- I and maybe there is a super smart solution. Maybe I have just missed that. I have no idea, but um, I'm still struggling to understand. Like if I purchase a virtual sneaker, dot swoosh or anywhere else, how can I then use that virtual sneaker as an extension of my identity across multiple social or digital platforms. I think, I mean, a lot of engineers are scratching their heads around this. And, and we mm. are friends at Zoan in Finland, which I also visited mm. and we talked about on the show. They have their own uh, metaverse called Cornerstone Land, kind of a photorealistic uh, metaverse, they call it. They have a sort of their own sort of virtual office. And, and you know, their day job is kind of helping. Uh, their turnover, I think, is like a million euros on that uh, um uh, metaverse so they're making money off of it but but you know they're a consultancy they're helping brands all over the world creating virtual experiences so what mm. they say is the portability of this how to transport uh, you know digital goods between different platforms is a head scratcher still it's no one has the solution i would I, I think that the the sort of porting the nft sort of the this nft meaning sort of the proof that you have this design mm-hmm. i think that probably is uh as as a uh, fairly simple way i mean it is just a piece of code you can you can it's mm-hmm. a link to the blockchain i know i have this the problem is when you've designed something in a 3d uh, a 3d sneaker on the dot swoosh platform 
how do you get a version of that into Roblox, which is much more exactly pixelier? <laughs> Even yeah, though my daughter, point. my daughter informs me that that, and she kind of complains that Roblox is looking more and more like real like because, and and I think that's interesting <laughs> because obviously they want right. to be be spearheading the the metaverse and they're, they're really going the direction of, of making the avatars look look much more real realistic and mm. not these sort of Minecraft Lego. Uh, type figures, hmm. but th- this is a big qu- issue. I think th- the entire community is is thinking about it. Every platform that comes out says we are working towards portability and so forth. I don't think anyone has, has solved it, and if they have, we should definitely bring it on the on the podcast. Then there, the, I mean, this this can be heavily debated. We will not have time, but if if I try to look in the crystal ball, mm. is this the starting point of a more sustainable way of consuming? Meaning that 20 years from now, um, consumption of physical goods will have declined and dropped. Yeah, that's the hope. I and, mean, that we, we, and, we... and then this is basically what we have replaced it. So, you know, we might spe- you know spend maybe the majority of our money on virtual goods because that's also we also spend a lot of time in in uh, virtual platforms or online, etc. And that's yeah. how we build our identity. Um, but I, I mean, it's 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 hard to know, right? But um, yeah, but that's. I mean, we we talked about that in in the last episode on on overproduction. That's that's a yeah. huge issue, and we we kind of want it to happen. That's why we're kind of engaging in this mm. so much at Scandinavian in Mind, and when we run mm-hmm. our conferences, and talking about sort of the future of a, or a more sustainable fashion industry. I think why this topic is is very you know relevant for the dot swoosh platform is that it it it. At least it alludes to a future where a big brand that's big on physical goods, one of the biggest ones in the world, mm. is you know venturing it into a, a digital space. So this has been my, you know, I've I've had predictions or at least an idea or a, or a, a kind of like a at least a thought experiment that what if brands like H and M and so forth in their sort of product grid. Because I I believe what's happening when you're surfing the uh, sort of the product grid on H and M's website, it's you're yeah you're you're just junking on dopamine the way you are on Instagram and Facebook and so mm. forth. You're you're looking at new clothes, new styles, new designs, new new you're thinking about new ways of sort of enhancing or developing your identity, and I think a lot of that is is happening in that moment. It's it's about the purchase moment. It's not about when the product, you know, comes home in a box with plastic covered and it has traveled across the world and it, it just put a strain on on you know mm-hmm. carbon emissions and whatnot. And I believe can we try I, I believe the it's the legacy brands, it's the heritage yeah. brands, it's the, the the brands that are big in the physical space that can actually make a mark. We, you know, we we've interviewed the digital ones, the dematerialized, the 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 um, the fabricants and so forth. But I definitely believe it's it's the legacy brands that should make uh, a move into this, and I believe they can make money mm. out of it. And and that's what needs to happen because I think H and M and you know any other fashion brand is super scared of this new digital space. One because they kind of don't understand it. Nike shows that they do understand it, but also because they're afraid they're going to lose their revenue. And I think if to 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 for that to be a future, what you just said, Roland, can this be a new sustainable way of doing it? You know, if we solve the gas fees and everything else, mm. it needs to be that we transfer revenue 
from uh, goods that are physical, but that only kind of provides that dopamine hit and it's about identity for the consumer. Can we transfer that into a digital space? I think we can gain a lot. And probably it's the, the generation that, that grows up now that are sort of 12, 11, 13. They're the ones that can have yeah. this sort of natural in themselves. Yeah. And then uh, if I look into my second crystal ball, <laughs> uh, this might also be the pivotal moment in consumption history where we move towards large-scale community-driven design, meaning that in the future, maybe even for the H&M of the future, maybe the, the majority of designs will be generated by the consumer themselves using H&M design tools. Uh, and then, you know, the brands, they will continue to drop collaborations, designs that they have right. done, etc. Right. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I think that might be um, uh, something we will see at least in the more, let's say, uh, fast-moving consumers, good sectors. Mm. Uh, luxury is different, right? Because um, that that whole mechanism is is around um, collectability and the, the designer, the you know, it's it's it, the identity that the, the luxury brands are building. It's it's a different process, right? But I I don't know. I I, I see. Um, yeah, I see. I see this in my crystal ball, <laughs> a future basically where a lot of brands will be uh, design platforms for consumers. All right, guys, let's leave it there. Brands will be a platform for the communi their communities. I think that's definitely a direction brands should go. Uh, how it will unfold, we will keep a close eye on here on the Scandinavian Mind podcast. Um, let's just end to... Uh, Let's just end with checking out some of the stories that are up online. Uh, Eric, you mentioned uh, the new report from Roblox and Parsons. I think we uh, wrote a fine little piece about that with, with our sort of five takeaways. And if you want to read the full report, you can you can find the link uh, on our website. E Eric, what else is happening online? There's also the, the rundown of, of fashion and gaming collabs, right? Yes. Uh, on top of this uh, takeaways from the Roblox Parsons report, Miega has also written a, uh, a list of our, our favorite, our top seven uh, fashion and gaming collabs from the last year, it's varying from everything from... Um, luxury brands to street brands and having their own games and being injected into games so check out this has been the Scandinavian Mind podcast uh, don't forget to follow our newsletter visit scandinaviamind.com slash newsletter and check us out on Instagram TikTok and our most important social media actually LinkedIn until next time goodbye bye, bye. see you